Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another NBA breakdown for today, January 12th. It's a Wednesday, and uh, we got some games to get through. I do want to just say up front, today has been a crazy busy day for me with work. So I'm uh, going to have to walk through these games pretty quick, and some of them aren't as quite as in-depth as I would normally want to do. But I think there's some information here, which, again, hopefully can help you as you're making your decisions about what you like for tonight. I will say uh, the other comment is I am definitely going to be watching a lot more stuff live again tonight. Um, I had some stuff written down and I just didn't trust myself. I uh, had a couple bad days in a row here on the betting side and uh, definitely can get me questioning uh, the reads I'm getting. But some of the live bets would have been better. So I have a few spots I like, but also going to be watching quite a bit, bit of this stuff live, trying to get a little bit better lines on some things. So with that said, do appreciate uh, retweets, likes, uh, subscribe, any of that stuff, and let's jump into the breakdowns. First, we have the Magic against the Wizards. The Magic uh, have Carter and Bamba both as game time decisions, and uh, the the Magic. I don't. This is a team that I keep being drawn back to. So every time I go back and look at their offensive output in particular, I am really bummed. Like in their last five, they've scored 192, 106, 98. 100 again so just not not scoring a lot of points but I like a lot of the pieces that they have and I just have to believe that at some point these pieces are going to come together a little bit not to be a great NBA team but to be a competitive NBA team and in fact a few of their games more recently have been closer they lost by two by five by ten by four uh, and then they went to overtime and they're so really four out of those last five really competitive and close they're going up against a Washington team that's going to be without Bradley Beal, who's back in the protocols. Washington plays fine without Beal, to be quite honest. Uh, I went over this yesterday, but in six games without Beal, their offensive rating is ten points or nine points better when he's not on the floor. Their defensive rating is seven points worse. So, you know, it's about a wash between offense and defense. And certainly long-term, they're better with Beal, but I just don't know that it makes a massive difference on a game-to-game -game basis right now, given the way that they play. In terms of a couple spread things, so Orlando's two and five against the spread with a rest advantage, but Washington's two and five against the spread with a rest disadvantage. And Washington is on a back to back where they're two, two and one. So just, you know, they're fine on a back to back, basic, basically. These two teams did just play on, the, on January 9th, which was the most recent game for Orlando and two games back for Washington. And Washington won, but only 102 to 100 in Orlando. And then on 11-13, Washington beat Orlando 104 to 92 without Beal. So 12 points. But again, I would say that that was when Orlando wasn't playing quite as well. And so I like Orlando's chances to do a little bit better here. I think this spread is at eight and a half. Um, Orlando eight and a half, I don't think is a terrible thing. This is one of the things I've written down to play live because the reality is, do I think Washington will ever hold a lead in this game? Well, absolutely. And if they do, that spread could get pushed up over 10. And if it gets over 10, I think I'll like that. Um, in terms of trends here, Orlando is six and two against the spread in their last eight against Washington and four and zero oh in their last four at Washington. So that backs up that play on Orlando that I kind of like. And then the over is four and zero oh in the last four in Washington as well. And again, because um, Washington is better on offense and worse on defense without Beal, I'm a little hesitant because Orlando just hasn't scored a lot, but I feel like they're going to turn it up a little bit at some point. And so I don't hate the over here either, though. I'm a little more hesitant on that play. 
Next game up is the Celtics and the Pacers. This is a game that we just saw recently. Um, Marcus Smart is doubtful tonight, which can make a little bit of a difference. Although when I went and looked up his numbers, they're actually slightly better on offense and slightly worse on defense, which is exactly the opposite of what I would expect with Marcus Smart. But neither one of those numbers was way different. So I don't think there's a ton to take away from that. Um, when we look at the last four, four or five games here, the last four away from home for Boston, they're averaging 108 points a game and giving up 108.5. Both of those are three or four points over their season average for scoring and for points allowed. And if you look back at their record away, they do tend to, to score more and give up more uh, on the road. You see that reflected game to game. Indiana on the other side, they have been better at home, uh, scoring 112 points a game compared to 106.9 as a season average, but also giving up 108.5 compared to 106.9 as their season average. Now, in their last five at home, there have been a lot of points. They are scoring 115.6 and giving up 114.4. Brogdon and Levert could both be back here, which I do think helps them on offense some, but really their games haven't been way different when those guys are in or out. The total today, uh, I think you can find anywhere between 210 and a half and 212. Boston is over 210 and a half in four of their last four away, and Indiana's over 210 and a half in five of their last five at home. So, this is a spot where I do like the over. And here's the other reason uh, reading about these teams, uh, both of them have not felt good about how they're playing, and Boston is really placing an emphasis on offense. They know that has been their downfall. And that doesn't mean they can flip a switch and just be great on offense automatically. But it does mean when you start to bring more attention to a specific end of the floor, it can yield at least some moderate results. Also, Indiana talked about just missing some pretty easy shots in that last game against Boston where they didn't score anything for three quarters and then kind of came back in the fourth. So I expect them to have a better offensive game today. Also with the trends, the over is five and two in the last seven between these two teams. And it's four and one in the last five that are played in Indiana. So I like the over in this game tonight, Um, and I actually do lean toward Indiana, too. I think they're going to come back and play better in this game, but less confident on that than the total. Next game up is the Hornets and the 76ers. We have Kelly Oubre out, and then Curry is a game-time decision for Philadelphia. Charlotte in their last five has actually not been scoring the way you think of Charlotte scoring. They did score 140 and 121, but they also have a 103, 114, and a 99. Uh, man, just way lower than I would expect from Charlotte. This is a team uh, kind of the opposite of Boston, where they've been talking a lot about how to get better on the defensive end. And I think maybe that's showing a little bit. You know, in those games where they didn't score much, they also only gave up 99, 106, 111 in their last three. They did give up more in the two before that. But I think maybe some of this attention on the defensive end is starting to bring the numbers back down to earth. They're they're giving up 118.25 points per game on the road this year. And uh, I would expect that to regress back a little. I mean, they're never going to be a great defensive team, but that's just a huge number. Philadelphia, on the other hand, was a really great defensive team, and lately they've been doing better offensively. So they've really only had three games at home since Christmas, and in those three, they've scored 119, 133, and 117 while still only giving up 100, 113, and 96. So their defense has continued to be relatively solid while their offense has really kicked it up a notch. This is a team that we all expected to be at the top of the Eastern Conference. I don't mean like the very top, but near the top, uh, contending in the East. 
And for a while, they didn't look like it at all. But I think they're rounding into form here. And this spread's a little bit wider than I would like. I think it's Philadelphia minus five and a half. But I do like Philadelphia to win this game. And this is another one that I'm going to be watching live. These teams have played twice this year. Philadelphia won both of those games. They were both in Charlotte, uh, 110-106 and 127-124. So they were both close. I do like where Philadelphia is at a little better than Charlotte right now, though they're both playing pretty well, and this should be a really fun game to watch. The other thing, and I'd have to defer to uh, the guys that are much more adept at the props than I am. Uh, you know, we had Brian, Brian versus the books, and hopefully he'll be back on the stream here soon. So look to him for Embiid's line tonight. But against Charlotte, they don't have a center. I mean, they have Plumley, but he doesn't offer a lot of resistance. Embiid scored 43 and 32 points in the first two games between these two teams. So I think Embiid could be in line for another big night here as well. <laughs> Next game up is the Heat and the Hawks. Um, Miami's been playing well, and Atlanta has been playing atrocious. Atlanta's been on the road for six in a row, but they are back home now, and maybe that can give them a little bit of life. The other thing that's going to give them some life is Hunter, Reddish, and Capella are all game-time decisions. Um, we'll talk about all three of them, but I think Hunter and Reddish in particular, they just really need these wings, especially on defense. I mean, their defense has been utterly horrendous here lately. They did play a low-scoring game with the Clippers, but other than that, I mean, 134, 136, 118, 131, just hemorrhaging on defense. And if they can get those wings back, I think it makes a huge difference. So in this game, part of the reason I won't be betting it pregame is I think the outcome is likely to be rel be different depending on whether those two guys play or not, or at least one of them. Miami, uh, sort of like Atlanta was, they're on the last game of a six-game road trip here, getting ready to head home, and then they'll actually play Atlanta in Miami. They have been playing pretty well, scored 123, 115, 113, 120, you know, over 110 in four out of their last five. Um, playing okay on defense, though they have given up 110 or more in three out of the last five, but been playing more pace-up games with a lot of points, and Atlanta's been doing the same. Miami's just been okay on defense in their last 10, kind of up and down, and their recent success on offense has really come down to three-point shooting. So they've shot 40% or better in five of their last seven. Um, and in those five games, they're four and one, averaging 117 points a game. In the other two, they're one and one and only averaged 103 points a game. I don't know. Miami's a good three-point shooting team and they're hot right now. So of course they could shoot over 40% again, but I'm not sure that it's going to happen. And this is where I think those two wings playing makes a big difference. Atlanta's allowing 35.2% from three-point range to opponents at home. They have allowed over 40 in three of their last four games, but I talked about how bad they've been on defense recently. Um, when, Capella play, uh, when Capella plays, they allow 36.1 without him, 29.9. So I wonder if that's that he has a hard time getting out to cover the three-point line. So they're actually better uh, in limiting threes with him out. But Reddish and Hunter, and Reddish in particular – they allow 35% from three with him in, 41% with him out. Hunter, it's 35 and 36. So if these wings can be in, I think it allows them to slow Miami's three-pointers down, and then I would lean toward Atlanta. Um, if those guys are not in, I would lean toward the over because I think both of these teams will be able to score. Although I do look for Miami to potentially have a little bit of a letdown at the end of this road trip before they head home. Looking at trends, the other thing that would, you know, lean toward some of what I was saying is there are strong over trends for Miami and Atlanta. 
And Miami's one and four against the spread in their last five at Atlanta. So they have not fared well um, going there. I think this could be, you know, one of those buy low spots. Atlanta's looked so, so bad. And Miami's looked pretty good. And so I think that's probably reflected in the spread a little bit today. Next game up is Dallas and the Knicks. Dallas started out minus one and a half. It looked like they were minus two or minus two and a half now. Um, Dallas has just been absolutely filthy on defense lately. They've allowed under 100 points in six of seven games and under 90 in three out of the last seven. When you look at their defensive rating, it's 108 or less in seven straight, but under 100 in three out of the last seven. That's just phenomenal defense. They have been way more inconsistent um, on offense, though. And so I think it's a little bit harder to trust them, especially without Porzingis. Their offensive numbers go way up when he plays, and it looks like he won't be playing here again tonight. The Knicks, on the other hand, have just been bad. The only question is, how are they going to be bad? Will they be bad because they can't score, or will they be bad because they can't stop anybody? Because it's really one of those two pretty much all the time. They've scored under 100 points in four out of the last seven and under 90 in two out of their last seven. They've allowed under 100 uh, in seven of eight. I got to double check that number. That seems super low, but they've allowed under. Yeah, I think that's right. And under 90 in three out of their last eight. So they've played pretty good on defense here recently, um, but the offense has been very inconsistent. Um, oh, yeah. Here, so this was the interesting thing. Is This is why I got switched up a little bit in terms of their points allowed. It's their defensive rating. So... In their last nine games, four times their defensive rating has been under 100, which is, you know, competing with Dallas, which is amazing. But in three of the last nine, their defensive rating has been over 118, which is pretty atrocious. So just really up and down. This, I do think this is going to be a really slow game. So Dallas's pace has been under 100 in seven out of eight and under 95 in five out of the last eight. The Knicks haven't played a game over 100 pace since... November 12th. They've been under 95 in seven of their last 10 games and under 90 in three of their last 10. And those under 90 games, three of those were in their last four. So these are both two teams just playing super slow. Dallas is playing phenomenal defense. The Knicks are sometimes playing phenomenal defense. Um, and neither of them have too much to offer on offense most of the time, especially with Porzingis out. Looking at trends, uh, good against the spread trends for Dallas, bad ones for New York, strong under trends for Dallas and a little bit to the under for New York. And then in this matchup, Dallas is five and two in their last seven at the Knicks. The under is nine and two in the last 11 and five and oh in the last five at New York. So there is a lot to me here pointing to Dallas against the spread and the under. What I've actually bet so far is Dallas minus one and a half. I took that last night. Shout out to Blaze Bets. Uh, I bet it and a couple minutes later saw that he bet it too, which made me feel a lot better about my bet. Uh, as uncertain as I've been feeling about myself lately, and that guy's on point. So, uh, so that was great. But then I also took the Knicks team total under 103 and a half. I thought that was actually a little bit high. Um, I would expect them to be more around 90 than around 100. So that was the other thing I took there. Next game up is Houston and the Spurs. We're going to move through this one pretty quickly. Um, Brooks and Sengun still out. KJ McDermott, Vassal White all still out. That really makes it harder to handicap the Spurs because the other guys they have in are just, it's so uncertain 
uh, how they'll play on offense. The Spurs do score more at home, 115.1 on the season compared to an average of 109.9. And Houston is just terrible on defense. They're giving up 116.7 away from home. And they've allowed um, over 120 in three out of their last five games away from home. The other two were 111 and 118. So even in those, they didn't really stop anybody. The Spurs, on the other hand, really have not been scoring the ball well. Now, those games have all been away from home, but um, two games under 100, 100, 104. So they are facing a bad defense, and I definitely like them to score a lot, but this total is over 230. And that's just too much for me, both on the Spurs team total and on Houston or and the game total as a whole. So I may watch if that drops some to look at an over uh, live, but I'm not doing that ahead of time. Looking at the trends, not great trends against the spread for either team. There are strong over trends when you look at each team individually. But then the under is six and two in the last eight um, between these two teams, two and five in the last seven at the Spurs. And Houston's one, five and one against the spread in their last seven against the Spurs. So if the Spurs were healthy here, I would definitely lean toward them and probably be all over them. But and that's probably why we're getting honestly the line that we're getting is the people they have out but just a little harder to trust them here. So this is something I'll watch live, but not a huge interest ahead of time. Next game up is the Cavs and the Jazz. Um, The Jazz have played seven of their last nine on the road. They're going to have Gay and Gobert still out here. Okoro is still out for Cleveland. Having Gobert out is a big deal. Defensive rating of 108.3 with him in and 123.3 with him out in four games. Offensive rating, 118.4 with him in and 115.7 with him out. So not as big of a difference uh, as on the defensive end, but they're a little bit worse on offense as well. Um, One of the big things here in terms of trying to cap this game is looking at Cleveland's three-point shooting. They've been under 30% in four out of their last five and under 30% in six out of their last eight but they average 35% on the season. And when you look at their individual shooting, uh, Ricky Rubio was not one of their better shooters. Now he may have really helped to get people better open looks, but his shooting itself was not the big deal. I went back and I looked at really all the guys who shoot three pointers for the Cavs, and I'm not going to read through every single person, but I looked at their three point percentage on the season, the average, and then what they've done over the last five games. And everyone but one person. So Markinen's average on the season is 30.9%. And in the last five, he's been at 31.5. So 0.6 higher. But every other person on the Cavs has been below their season average from the three-point line in the last five games. And some of them are substantial. So like Dean Wade shoots 32.9% on the season. He hasn't hit one in the last five games. Uh Garland, 38% on the season, 34.22 the last five. So not as bad, but not great. Rondo, 42.9, has been hitting 31.6, which I would say that 42.9 is overachieving for him, and he probably had some negative regression coming. But all of this to say, I can't imagine the the Cavs continuing to shoot this poorly from three-point range in an ongoing way. And if you went back and just put them at their season average, and most of these games you're adding somewhere between six and nine points to their total, which would have uh, helped them to cover some spreads and, uh, and, and win some games. 
Utah on the other side without Gobert is just going to give up a lot on defense. Their defensive rating has been 124 or worse in the last three. Their one other game in these last four without Gobert it was 111.4. So they have been really, really bad on defense lately, and I don't see that fully turning around. They do have Hassan Whiteside, but they're going to have to deal with all that size of Cleveland without Gobert, and I think that's going to be tough for them. And maybe get, they get some better looks from the three-point range here tonight. From three-point range, Utah does allow thirty-four point nine percent from three-point range at home. So I think this is you know potentially a decent spot for the Cavs, especially because they're getting points. Now the thing that might keep you away from that a little bit is the trends. Cleveland's trends against the spread are really bad, though Utah's are as well. But Cleveland's 1-8-2 and two against the spread in their last 11 at Utah, so not good. And the under is 6-0 and oh in the last six at Utah between these two teams. But remember, probably most of those were with Gobert. So this is a game where I actually like the Cavs and I like the over, but I like waiting to look for them live. Again, my question would be, do we think Utah's ever going to have a lead in this game? Well, maybe, maybe not, but I think there's a high chance they do. And so I think you can get a better live line line live <laughs> than you can pregame. All right, two more games to get through here. Next up is Brooklyn and Chicago. This should be a fun game, hopefully a good game. Claxton, Harden, and Irving are all game time decisions, and Aldridge is still out. Chicago, it's just the same guys that have been out. Brooklyn has actually been pretty atrocious lately. They are scoring 112.6 in their last five games, but they're giving up 117.4, just no defense. Chicago, on the other hand, in their last five at home is averaging 121.8 points and only giving up 105.8. So they've been on fire. I mean, they, they smoked Detroit last night, and I've talked on other streams. I won't do it again today about some of what I don't like about how Chicago's played, but there's no doubt that they have tremendous upside and can be a great team. When you look at the trends here, bad against the spread trends for Brooklyn, um, However, Brooklyn is five and two in their last seven at Chicago. And then the under is seven and two in the last nine at Chicago. So not a ton to break down here. I think what it comes down to is the fact that Brooklyn hasn't been playing good on defense. And especially if Kyrie is playing, he doesn't help them a lot on defense. He helps them on offense where Chicago has so many weapons that if it comes down to Chicago versus Durant, I think you have to favor Chicago especially with them playing at home. And so this total is too high for me to get involved where it currently stands because I can't trust, especially the Nets, to score enough points. They can, but I can't trust them to do it. So I'm not really interested in either side of the total. I am a little bit interested in Chicago against the spread, and that's what I'm going to keep thinking about. <clears throat> All right, last game of the day. Uh, get this last one knocked out, and that's the Lakers against the Kings. The Lakers have been playing well, so I have to come and say I was wrong about the Lakers. Before they played Memphis, I said I was not buying into their scoring recently. They had had a super soft schedule, and I just thought it was smoke and mirrors. However, even though they lost to Memphis, they went out and they put up 119 points, which is more than the Warriors could do. And don't get me wrong, I love the Warriors. They're going to come around. But just saying, the Lakers are on a little bit of an offensive role here, and I think they've gotten enough people healthy that they're finding a little bit of a groove and playing pretty well. And they're going up against a Sacramento team that's just really bad on defense is what it comes down to. They do play in some low-scoring games now and then, but it's more just because the game gets slowed down and they're so terrible and then another team is terrible than that they actually play good defense. Sacramento's giving up 111 points a game at home. Um, the Lakers score 109.6 on the road. The Lakers do give up 111 uh, on the road. 
and Sacramento averages 107.3, but in their last five at home, three of those were 95, 96, and 102. Then they had a 108 and a 115. So, I mean, okay, but really it's just that one game where they got 115 where they scored well at all. Sacramento's three and seven against the spread when they have a rest disadvantage, which they'll have tonight. This is their fourth game in six days, and the Lakers had two days off before this one. Um, <laughs> the Lakers' offensive rating, on just to talk a little bit about how their offense has been good lately, their offensive rating is 108 on the season, but they've been over this in five straight, and in three of the five, their offensive rating was 120-plus. So this is a spot where I think um, Sacramento once in a while shows up and plays a good game. The Lakers could lay an egg. That's the way it goes every day in the NBA, right? But we have a Lakers team that's on a little bit of a roll, and Sacramento's just continued to be atrocious. They've shown no signs that they're going to do more than play one good game here and there throughout the season. And if you hit on the one that they play well, unlucky, that's a bummer, but it's not going to happen on a regular basis. In terms of the trends here, Sacramento's against the spread trends are very, very bad. The Lakers have a little bit of a trend to the over, Sacramento to the under. But then matchup specific, the Lakers are 9-4 and four in their last 13 against Sacramento and 5-2 and two straight up in the last seven at Sacramento. So trends favoring the Lakers a little bit as well. Haven't made any bets there yet, but you can probably tell which side I like more. Uh, just got to do a little more thinking about where I want to end up landing and we'll, again, be watching a lot of this live. I uh, hope this information continues to be helpful. I enjoy doing it and hope it helps you to make some good decisions. Check me out on Twitter at NBA Attack, and I will see you there.